Now then, welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films that we've never seen before at this point in our lives, Midlife. Uh, I'm Sam Turner, and this is my comrade, Chris Jenkins. Gombanois. Very nice. Uh, Chris, do you want to tell us your uh, top favourite things about the country of Japan? Japan. Yes, yeah, Japan. I like pachinko. You know, the um, silver ball bearing arcade game. I like I like I like the punk spirit of it and I like those little hotels where you climb in climb up a ladder and go into a little hole in the wall. Pod pod hotels, are they called? Yeah, I like pod hotels. Pod hotels. Yeah. We've got a guest tonight. It's after tea and we've got a guest, as is traditional. It's after tea. Our guest tonight shares a first name with many people of note. Gallagher, Neeson, Rosinia and Payne. He also shares a last name with some real experts in their field. Colleen and her sisters, Christopher and Kevin. But unlike the rogues galleries of directors, singers, footballers and loose women, Liam Nolan has excellent taste in podcasts. While Christopher Nolan persists with the Woeful lad banter pod, have a word, and Liam Neeson refuses to miss an episode of Parenting Hell with Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe, Liam Nolan is a steadfast devotee of midlife film catch-up. Often referred to as the pod's Ringo, for 18 episodes Liam has been contributing from afar, regularly giving Chris and I on-point feedback and often chiming in on debates about subjects such as Is Before Sunrise a Cheese Fest by Design? Which Scouse pop stars are now conspiracy theorists? And when exactly did Chris move to Hong Kong? It's a huge pleasure to invite him onto the show tonight to share his wisdom firsthand. And we'd like to welcome Liam Nolan to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel like I've invested weeks of my life listening to this podcast. It's an absolute treat to get a real aficionado's point of view on here. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I've written something for Liam as well. No, good, good, go on. But by the way, Sam, did you just say in your intro that Christopher Nolan enjoyed the Have a Word podcast? Yeah, it was It was just a bit of whimsy, really. You were get, Yeah, oh, I see, you were just playing, you were just being absurdist. Absurdist, yeah. Yeah, trying it. I don't know if I'll add it to my... Uh... To my repertoire. No, I just thought I'd, I wondered if I'd missed something, and if they had have a word podcast. Now we're getting American film directors on their podcast. I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't either. Right, today's guest was born in Liverpool to Ken and Chris Nolan. Though Liverpool-born, he was further bred in the Midlands, where the Nolan family made Kenilworth their home. In 1995, Liam discovered music, amassing a huge collection of CD singles, cassette singles, CD albums, and the occasional vinyl. A huge fan of Carter USM, The Smiths, and sometimes Gene, and all things indie pop. Age 18, he went to the Fragrant Harbour in the Special Administrative Region of China, aka Hong Kong. 
but Manchester was calling. And after a year spent teaching English language, he went to study the literature of English at Manchester Uni. There he cemented his love of music and gigs, hanging out with Nick Zinner from the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. But then Canton came calling again, and Liam returned to Hong Kong for a further time with Chris, holing up in a flat called Chez Banter, where Liam took it upon himself to try a novel new sport called unicycle hockey, which is exactly how it sounds. But then he returned to Manchester again, where he met the love of his life, Meg. They moved down to London, where Liam continued working in the charity sector whilst also joining forces with the owner of Alcapop Records to create a music label called The Lost Album Club, releasing finished but unreleased albums by the likes of Speedy and Bernard Butler. Liam also created the 1P Album Club, a blog where they reviewed albums available for one pence from Amazon. But again, Manchester, so much to answer for. He was pulled back up north, settling in Trafford. Whilst not working, you can find him of an evening reading a book, enjoying a craft beer, or buying one or two vinyl albums per month. He says he just likes it for the cost and inconvenience. Welcome, Liam Nolan. Thank you very much. Pretty comprehensive, that one. Yeah. Yeah, it was more factual than entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry it took up so much time. Listen, I, I, I learned a lot. That was cause I didn't realise he'd led such a labyrinthine life, uh, Liam. Would you describe it as that? I mean, you can do. Labyrinthine. Let's say yes. That wasn't all strictly true, but it was it was true in spirit. Was it Bernard Butler? I met Bernard Butler. That's a long story. I never released any Bernard stuff. You released Speedy and uh, the Cheek, the Cheek, and um, Dark Houses, uh, formerly Hope of the Sedates. Oh yeah, excellent. And um, yeah, very nomadic life when you look at it on paper. And I'd say, apart from the Bernard Butler thing, everything else was true. Yeah, pretty much. So two stints in Hong Kong. I mean, we'll we'll get onto this later on. But two stints in Hong Kong. Is it, did I get that correct? Uh, I think it's three, two, three, four, three. Really? Lost count. V- various points between two thousand and two thousand and five. But that's not what we're here to discuss. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, he's got the lingo. But we're here to talk about blue spring um but um i would say we we should give liam the right to apply um i mentioned last week that liam you were watching before sunrise for the third time i i took this as a bit of an affront and it made me question why are we even doing this podcast when our most dedicated listeners would rather watch a film they dislike for the third time than watch a new film to be fair it was it was a viewing based on trying to figure out if it was a film I disliked or not. The first time I watched it, I absolutely loved it. The second time I watched it, I absolutely did not. And I think, listening to the discussion that you guys have, I think it was based on my age at the time I watched it. And I think the third viewing, 
showed me that it wasn't as good as I first thought it was, and it certainly wasn't as bad as I second uh, thought it was. Right. But it was an interesting one to come back to at different points in my life, which is not the it's not the midlife catch up in the sense of the podcast, but I found it really interesting watching it again from midlife. I was more forgiven of the young. What what is your kind of uh, film watching habits in midlife? The, the podcast notwithstanding, two small kids try and go to bed early. I don't. I know you guys quite often watch these films in two, three sittings. I, for some reason, I, I've never got into that. I either watch a film in its entirety, or or I just don't watch it. So I watch very few films. I can pick up a book and I can put it back down a million times a day, but I can't do that with a film. I sit down, I watch it all. Mm. Well, you're a vor- voracious reader, aren't you? Yeah, but that's because I can pick it up and I can put it down. I, I feel like a film, I'm sitting down, I'm committing two hours to it. You can pick up the DVD case and put it down. Yeah, this is true. That's true. If you, if you need something to pick up and put down. If it's compulsive, yeah, it's it's not so it's not so much the physical act, right, right. It's more the time, but yeah. So I so I don't I don't watch huge amounts of films. I would like to know what time do you go to bed? Um, I'm always aiming for about half ten. Wow, it tends to be later. That's good. Would you say you're asleep by half eleven or midnight? Uh, half eleven, midnight. Wow. In what sounds so do you do you read when when you've gone to bed at half seven? Yeah. 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 Do you read before you go up to bed in the sitting room? Uh, I sometimes do, yeah. Hmm. Or I'll be watching a bit of telly. I, I can't help but feel I'm getting i I'm getting more questions than some of your, your previous guests. No, no, I'm 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 curious because as you know I've got one child, you've got two so your workload is like 10 times more, but I wonder how you, I, I just wonder what time you go to bed and stuff like that. And what you, I wonder what you do of an evening. It's kind of like what I'm saying. Um, my average evening, kids down, half seven, eat tea, watch telly, go to bed. Hmm. You got a good three, you got a good three hours there of, uh, oh, he's gone. He's had enough. <laughs> Shall I introduce this week's film? Yeah. Absolutely. So this week's film, we're on episode 19, would you believe, of the... Yeah. Or is this 18? No, because you started in 1983. I mean, you should have started it in 82 when I was born. So so what is it? What are we on? 18? 2001 minus 1983 is 18. It's 2001. Uh, we're covering the film Blue Blue Spring by the director Toshiaki Toyoda. 
Very good. Very good. Very slick. So Blue Spring is set entirely in the um, Asahi High School, somewhere in Japan. Uh, we're following the gang of Kujo, the lead protagonist, who was soon becomes the leader of the gang by way of winning a game of uh, roof claps. I mean, you have to explain that. Uh, so whoever wins roof claps, um, they they become no no the gang lead. You have to explain what roof claps is. Oh. Uh, yeah, so that's a game that the pupils of Asahi School play, um, and the winner takes over. The the one who yeah, gets... but you've got to explain what <laughs> do what they actually do with, with the roof. You can't you can't say like whoever wins baseball is the leader of the game because <laughs> we know what baseball is. But like, oh, I've got to I've got to explain you, the game of got to explain claps. the game of roof claps. Okay, so roof claps, you're on the roof. And you're leaning back, and there's a railing in front of you, and you're leaning off the roof towards. You're leaning, you're leaning back off the roof, away from the railing, um, and the more claps you get in, the more points you score. You take your hands off the railing to clap. You take your hands off the railing. You lean back, and you're clapping. No, no, you, you, it's um, it's different. Um, Different rounds of numbers of claps, isn't it? Yeah, the the referee shouts claps. one. You lean back off the railings, off the roof, do one clap. The referee shouts two. You lean back, you take your hands off the railing, do two claps, grab the railing again. Do as many as you and it keeps going up and up until people drop out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not clear how they, how they drop out. We don't really see that. Do Literally drop out, though. I think that's the... Spoiler. That's the thing that's not. Well, it's it's not a spoiler. I think I think the people have got to. You got to understand that you're you're at risk of falling off the roof. They're dicing with death. Yeah, they're dicing with death because you. They just. Otherwise, it sounds like they're just clapping. It's a harsh game in harsh surroundings. And Sam, can I just say, um, to listeners, although it's. Asahi High School, it's in no way sponsored by the beer. I think it, it must it must be a place in Japan. Or is it an is it an academy school? Are, are, do academy schools have sponsors have sponsors? Academy schools have to have um private sector partners, yeah, so maybe it's a... So like you could get a school in Runcorn sponsored by Daddy's Brown sauce. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For for example. For example, that's yeah, that doesn't exist. So Kujo is clearly uh, uneasy with his newfound um, position as leader of the gang. Um, his friend Aoki is much Oki. more positive. Oki. Oki. Because the teacher calls him Loki Oki and then says Okie Doki. Did you catch that? No. No, that's good. Uh, one by one, uh, the friends kind of drop out of the circle in different circumstances, uh, and at the end of the at the end of the film, 
Cujo and Oki become antagonists. Is that it? Is that your synopsis? I, to be fair, I watched it on Sunday, which was quite a long time ago. How did you feel about it? Uh, my synopsis? Yeah. Um, it's not my best work. It's not my best work. Um, I should have gone... You know, I've got I've got notes here, and I've got some, some important points of the film, but I think in terms of the narrative arc, I'm a little bit hazy. Yeah. I mean, ignorant. They say ignorance of the law is no defence, don't they? I mean, that's quite a grandiose. No, it's not grandiose. It's just, yeah, yeah. Okay, you've got notes. Yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be like if uh, Usain Bolt lost, and then he'd say, "But I've got notes." Yeah. No, it is, a, it is a bit like that. But it, I would have completed the race, as you know, Usain would have completed the race. I did tell the, I did tell the story of the film. You did finish the race. I finished the race. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You didn't. You didn't stop. The synopsis. You finished it. It was. It was. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was no, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Should we, should we give our quick thoughts, Liam? What did you think going into this film? What did, what were your sort of uh, preconceptions of Blue Spring by Toshiaki Toyoda? I went into it knowing absolutely nothing. I only read enough of the synopsis to know that I'd picked the the right film. I knew it'd be highly rated because I, I follow the podcast. I know that's how these things get picked. And I haven't watched a Japanese film for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was quite looking forward to it. And I enjoyed it. I wasn't blown away. I don't want to get pulled into ratings. Why not? I'm sure you'll come to that. I think for me, this one had um, per- percolation rating. Positive percolation factor. PPF. Yes, that's it. Uh, for me, it's it's kind of stuck with me, and I've found the impact of the film has been greater the more I thought about it. I found it amusing, and it, it was a visually an enjoyable film. I find it quite sad the longer time has passed since I watched it. I, I'd agree with that. For, for my quick thoughts, I agree with that. Yeah, you're not going to expand. Sort of nature of pod, the nature of podcasts is sort of you expand on what other people says or you challenge that. Can do some po- some podcasts. Yeah, doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. You, some you can just say I agree, can't you? I mean, I'm here because we've been friends for twenty odd years. That's because we sometimes we think alike. We're friends. We're agreeable. Yeah. I agree with what Liam says.
I can give my quick thoughts. That'd be good, yeah. I, my first quick thought was, "Oh, Sam's picked a Sam's picked a bad one here." Right. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I could tell that that was your attitude from uh, from from the get go, right out of the paddock. Well, straight out of the paddock, I, I did think that Sam. Yeah. Um, but I did change my mind on it. I I, I thought I thought oh Sam I, I said I said to myself oh I know what Sam's done here. He wants another Takeshi Kitano film. He's got a hankering for more beat Takeshi because we enjoyed watching Kids Return, and he's he's picked the first Japanese film that's come along. And I thought it's a bit of a kids film. Is this a kids? Then I found out it was based on a a Magna uh, manga. Carter, ma- <laughs> manga. Ma- manga, yeah, yeah, not not Magna. Magna Carta. Um, it was based on manga, and then, and then I thought, oh, okay, I can see why this is missing so much characterization, and why it's so visual over story, over dialogue and characterization. Um, but then it, and then I just thought, is this aimed at a teenage audience or is it aimed at an older age audience? I couldn't quite pin down where it is meant to be aimed at because there were a few funny sort of affectations in the way they did some of the things with the with the the use of the the punk music and stuff which i enjoyed the punk music in it but maybe i'm not punk enough as you are sam but i thought it was quite jarring sometimes but I, i'd say that this film grew on me and i really like the ending and um and i think it does have the positive percolation factor more so than amores peros which is a film that is immediately gripping but lacks that doesn't get under your skin as much what were your quick thoughts, Sam? Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, it feels like there's a lot of jeopardy going into these films, and especially when you've picked them. And I think I was worried at first. You made some sort of comment last week about, oh, what, what, what's this, an example of a such-and-such film? And I, I could I could tell that you, you were dubious from, from that comment. Well, the Amazon synopsis said a bebop, bebop something. Teenager Bebop film. I thought, is this is this a genre? Is this a Japanese genre? So yeah, so I was I was I was worried fairly early on in the film. One of the characters um, holds a stool in his hand. I I really laughed at that bit. I've never 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 seen that before. Really, a stool as in a, a feces. Mm. Have you not seen that? The closest I can think of is Kevin and Perry go large where a, a stool approaches a mouth in the seat. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, and there's a bit in Caddyshack. There's a stool in a swimming pool, isn't there? Yeah. And there's a bit where um, Biff Tannen says, oh, I don't like this manure. It's different when it's a human stool, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More affecting. Affecting? Affecting normally slightly got a slightly positive sort of angle on it, even though it's something that affects you emotionally but kind of pulls the heartstrings a little bit. Affecting it can just move you in any sort of way, can't it? I would have thought so. I, I wasn't 
moved in any way other than slightly amused by the, uh, the stool. The holding of it didn't really do anything for me. It was a squeezing. He squeezed it. He squeezed it. That was a bit OTT, I thought. I thought, I thought that was one of the one funny bits in the film, to be honest. He, he was so use he was so useless at beating the other boys up. He just hit his head on the toilet door, fell over, slipped in some wee, put his hand in it, picked up a stool by mistake. Yeah, it, it troubled it troubled me. It troubled me. I think I, I don't know I don't know how I felt about it then. I don't know how I feel about it now. You're you're a sensitive guy. When it comes to stools, I'm sensitive. Little and large, fainting. Stools, specifically stools in hands, I think. But yeah, the the more it went on, it was an eighty-four minute film, so I think I looked favourably on it because of uh, the running time. Uh, I loved the, I loved the punk music. I didn't I, it didn't I didn't shy away from it. I just you know just enjoyed it and embraced it and really sort of just let myself luxuriate in the punk music. Really, yeah. You you mean you are. Punk, you are a punk. There was like themes and dialogue in the film that affected me quite deeply. I have a recurring dream that I'm still in school and I haven't studied for for an exam. I get that. Do you get that? Do you get that, Liam? I've had similar, yeah. I I get it all the time. And I feel like that's the sort of feeling that Cujo is experiencing, is, is, is effed it up, is effed up his school career. Um, by being the cool, the cool guy, the detached guy, has he effed it up, or are they just at a, a no hope school from a no hope background where there's not much of a way out, where the teachers don't care about them? My main takeaway from this is that schools in Japan are, are really bad. Ofsted, I'm just thinking, like what what rating? It definitely wasn't outstanding. It wouldn't have that rating. I think there was a lot that, for us, I think I speak on behalf of both of you when I say we're not Japanese speakers and we don't read Japanese. Is that is that fair to say? Well, I think Chris mm-hmm. actually he opened the podcast with a bit of a bit of Japanese. Yeah, I opened the podcast with Kombanwa, which is good evening. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, well, in that case, I speak on behalf of myself when I say I feel like there was a lot that I overlooked that that went past me because there was graffiti everywhere in the school to the point where it was more it felt like it was more symbolic than this is a literal school, this is saying something, and none of it was translated. So I feel like if you're a Japanese speaker and you could read what was on the walls, you'd probably have more of an idea of the vibe. They translated it twice when it just said Ico's turf or Cujo's turf. I think what what Liam's saying is the writing was on the wall for these kids. Yeah. Oh, were you? Kind of. You can you can say you can claim that one. That's yours if you want no. it. No, that is clever. That's clever. Clever stuff, Liam. It was. It's good stuff, Liam. It was more. I think. I found this film really sad looking back because I think it's just the more I thought everything was from their perspective. So the teachers were, you had your cartoonish 
tiny flower growing teacher. You had your, the one teacher they respected was an absolute Hulk. And then all the other teachers that you saw were just weeds in front of blackboards. Everything was from their perspective and they saw nothing outside of school. And the school was an absolute hole. And there were, I think that the world of these young guys was just really limited. And the clapping game was at the heart of it, which is just literal child's play. And I think the other day, not linked to this film at all, my daughter was playing the same game, very, very similar. Throwing a teddy in the air, doing one clap, then throwing a teddy in the air and doing two claps, because that's what she does at PE, in PE at nursery. It's literal child's play. On your roof? No, she wasn't doing it on the roof, to be fair. She was doing it in the garden. Uh, right. But that's, you know, this this entire film is based around that and it's these young men who have got nothing going for them and then they're in this they're doing the same stuff that you know my four-year-old is doing but they're in the bodies of adults basically but then out of nowhere one of them kills another one in a in a bathroom stall hopefully your uh your daughter's not up to that kind of thing nothing like that happens but she'll go to nursery and the drama, her life is full of drama. Someone's scribbling on someone's drawing or someone's not sharing this toy or that toy. And it's it's the, the chat of the day. It's, it's full of drama. And it's valid because if, if she's stressed or if she's feeling really like that's big drama, you have to respect that because it is. When her world is that small, that's what's going on. And it's the same for Cujo and his mates. There's nothing else in their lives. And that's what makes it so sad. And then you've got that scene towards the end where Aoki is stood on the roof and he's he's literally staring outside of the school. He's and he can't, he's there for like overnight. He sees nothing. Yeah. So they filmed that bit in a time lapse. So he was literally standing there the whole night and I wondered if it was a homage to hands on a hard body because he didn't take his hands off the railings. Yeah, maybe. Uh, probably, probably for about eight, eight to ten hours. So, do you think they, they they actually filmed him for eight to ten hours on that roof? I'd say that there might have been some. I'd say there was some trickery involved, but I'd say that you, he would have been there. I'd say a minimum of three hours, maybe. I can't. I can't see how they could have done it quicker than that. But it was clever stuff. However, they did it because it, you know, it was, it was made on film for eight hundred thousand dollars. So it's a low budget film. It was. A, it was a great shot. It was a great shot. Why was Oki so upset with uh, Kujo? I mean, I think it's it's as simple as like you know, someone scribbling on my daughter's drawings. Like it's it's nonsense. The whole thing is nonsense. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's all just school drama. And you've got a tiny little pecking order with Cujo at the top. And if you're not Cujo, you're no one. And he's probably just upset that he's not Cujo. That rings true to me. I think because there was all all the um, 
friends were going in different like directions, wasn't there? There was one joined the Yakuza at one bit. There was the the baseball guy who didn't quite make it, but he was he was chasing a baseball dream. And then it was Kujo who said, uh, "People who know what they want scare me." Uh, have you have you ever felt like that, Liam? That people who know what they want scare me. I I find it freaky sometimes when people people are overly sure of who they are. That can throw me. Yeah, it's, do you think it's impressive? Uh, it can be. It can be scary. Uh, scary is that the word? I don't know. But I th- I think Cujo in this didn't Cujo didn't make of his position what Ioki would have done. And I think he had the he had the ability to rule the school and he just couldn't be asked. He didn't throw himself into the violence in the way other people did. My highlight of the film actually was when Kujo uh, broke someone's nose. He did the nose twist. He just twisted someone's nose. I, I think that you and Kujo are on the same page, Liam, and you, and you don't realise it. I think he, I think he saw through the pettiness and the and the bulless of um, of being the leader of something that didn't mean anything. So he thought, oh, maybe I should try and make the most of my education. Yeah, because after that's when he goes to the front of the class. Do you think they were hinting that he might go on to have a football career at some point? With that football sequence, what, what the keepy up is? No, it, there was. You you were probably asleep by this point. You, you bloody Sam Sam Turner special. No, I know what you mean. He was kept scoring, scoring goals. Yeah, I think it, it was just probably like a illustrating an alternative path, wasn't it? Yeah, an alternative path out of there. But you mentioned the, the flower guy, Liam. The uh, smaller teacher was he? Do you think he was a force for good? I think he was a force for nothing. Oof. Wow. I think the teachers wow. in this film all the, the entire film is from the kids' perspectives, the, the young, the young guys, and I think they, for me, they could see nothing beyond the gates of the school, and there was literally nothing beyond the gates of the school. You could just see more of the same. They. There weren't even, like, apart from the odd classroom scene, there didn't seem to be many other people in the school. Everything was just pointing towards the fact that this is life as viewed by these, this gang, to me. And I think that included the teachers. So that guy, I think he was just symbolically small and powerless and talking about flowers. I, I I disagree. I thought he was the only thing of hope in in the story. The whole film was like devoid of color, except for his little flower patch. And he was trying to teach these lost kids about I don't know preciousness of life and uh, trying to teach them how to nurture and look after things. I think that was his intention. You hate this guy, don't you, Liam? No, I liked him. He was he was good. He had good intentions. I mean, I thought he, he was he was he was giving them the time of day. I thought he was the only one that was showing an interest, and they were reciprocating by nurturing for these flowers. And it, it was the only. I think you're being a bit harsh on him. Who? Um, Liam being a bit harsh on that on the flower teacher. Yeah, 
Is it? Do you have something against smaller people? No, I'm. I'm not even in spitting distance of six foot here. I'm a. I'm a relatively short guy myself. I've got nothing against him. I liked him. I liked what he was trying to do, but I think he was a, a comic figure in the eyes of the kids. Well, yeah, you might be onto something. Maybe they didn't give him the respect that if they had given him, you know, that could have led somewhere. That, he was a teacher that was trying to teach them and um, if maybe they had the right values, they would have listened to him. Yeah, I I, I didn't... I, I seem to think Liam is saying that what that teacher was saying about the flowers was like nonsense or something, but I don't think it was. No. I... Do you hate gardeners? No, I like I, I like gardeners. I've got a lot of time for gardens. Monty Don. Mm, prefer him to Titchmarsh. Charlie Zimmock. Yeah. You don't really hear much of Monty Don uh, these days, do you? I think he's still active in the BBC Two gardening schedule. More sort of radio these days. I don't know. I think he's still on TV. You've got those twins that um, like dress like they're in Mumford and Sons. They're where it's at now. Do you know these guys? The hairy bikers. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're like they're gardeners. I don't know if they. I think they're twins. Um, and the sort of Mumford and Sons, like um, sexy gar- sexy gardeners. Do you know these guys, Liam? I don't know them. I've got time for Monty Don, though. What Ofsted rating do you think that school would have, <laughs> Liam? <laughs> uh, it'd probably be poor. Is that the worst one you can have? I, I don't know. Needs improvement. Is that worse than poor? I don't know. Let's have a look. I can see a glow of your face. That can only come from a golf.uk website. Yeah, so you're on. Your number one is outstanding. Then you've got good. Then you've got requires improvement, and then you've got inadequate. It's got to be. It's got to be inadequate, surely. Yeah. When you when your kids are ha- standing around with Ted's in their hand, you got to give them an inadequate. Well, he he was sitting. He was That's sitting. rule number one. That's rule number one yeah. of the Ofsted book. I I like the bit where that guy kept slapping his friend, and then. And then all of a sudden his friend just went, I can't see anything. <laughs> did, no one get, did no one see that? The big guy had a sidekick and he just hit him in the back of the head all the time. Towards the end of the film, the little guy he just went, I can't see anything. <laughs> and he was like, I'm serious, I can't see anything. I can't. And then the next scene, kid had bandage around his eyes. He'd gone blind and then his friend was like caring for him, the one that had been slapping him the whole time. I mean, that that's, that's, it. that's like straight out of... Uh... Kids return. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very very similar, isn't it? Totally. I I just think, um, yeah, I thought it was a bit of a bargain basement. Takeshi Kitano, Kids Return. No, Ouch. but but that no, that's but that my opinion changed by the end, and I thought it was okay. I thought it was quite good. Takeaways. 
I don't know how they filmed them clapping on that rooftop because it looked like they were not held on by anything. It was really scary to watch. And I know it made me think that Liam has a bit of a thing about vertigo. And I actually had to look away from the screen. Yeah, and it got and it made me think a lot about our time in Hong Kong and when we spent time on rooftops and stuff. Ones that were a lot higher than that one. And uh, yeah, and I, I still have physical um, feelings when I think back to some of the rooftops we like walked around on and stuff. What were you do? What were you doing on the on the bloody roof? Liam lived in an apartment block. So did I. Um, we'd often just go up to the top and hang out on the roof. Um, the one, the one that I lived in with Barb's. And a lad called Aaron. Um, it was a flat the size of maybe half the size of your flat, Sam. And we we played a game of hide and seek in there, which was kind of we were kind of being a, a bit ironic because there was like nowhere to hide. It was so small. But then we couldn't find Aaron anywhere and it started to get a bit weird like we just couldn't find him and then we opened up the laundry hatch so there's this the center of the block of flats was just an empty cylinder down the middle of these block of flats it went up to like 50th floor or something and um we we opened this laundry bit that went into the center column and he was just on this um clothes maiden that was screwed onto the the outside wall and just hiding on Jesus on this thing and he'd been out there for like ten minutes. Like um like with twelve floors below him. Yeah. Madman. Madman. Yeah. I, I like the fact that your listeners will probably be confused because they're probably not sure what you're suddenly doing in Hong Kong when last week when you moved to Hong Kong you decided to tell the story of Four cans of cider and odd beans. One stop, one stop. That was that took preference to the fact that you you moved. No, but I just think back to like being on top of our building on like the fiftieth floor, and like there was just like a little walkway over that central drop, and just like walking over it, and it, you know. Um fills me with like revulsion um some sort of yeah sometimes think of it as i'm falling asleep sometimes go oh god do you think people in the far east are less uh have less respect for heights yeah yeah i say they're more accoutrement with them to what sorry i say they're more accustomed to them mm. Okay. Um, okay. So, have we got any more takeaways from uh, Blue Spring? I thought that Oki, bit of a Liverpool centric one. This, you know, the singer from Novelty Island. Yes. Looked like him, and had the same attitude as him whimsical quirkiness yeah mixed with a bit of John Lennon 
snidiness. Right, okay. Interesting. Mm. Tom Tom McConnell. I don't, I don't know his name, but he, he he's like he was wearing the same clothes, he had the same haircut, he had the same sort of devil may care attitude. And um yeah, just thought like really, really strongly reminded me of him. But a good songwriter. Erky wasn't the um musician, was he? Was that the no. kid that was Oki okay. Yuki, was Yuki the uh, musician, the guy who killed the guy? Oki, Oki was the main, the other main character, the one who died at the end. Yes, yeah. But one of the core members of the gang was a, a music person, weren't they? Yeah, but I'm not talking about him. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's been a, it's been a long day. <laughs> All right. Well, should we? Um... Should we move on to? Sorry, go on. I also thought 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 the f- the first punk song sounded like the Rat by the Walkman. <laughs> right, yeah. that's one for uh, Carl Roberts, isn't it? Maybe. Well, yeah. I, like I just thought it was a coincidence that I was that I was listening to it the other day and talking to you and Carl about it, and then it came up in that film. Or maybe I've just been listening to it too much. Um, which would you say is a better song, Liam? The Rat by the Walkman or um, favourite mistake by the bravery. <laughs> I can't think just on my head how a favourite mistake goes. I'd have to for the rat. It's good, 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 uh, good single. I, 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 I don't know how it goes, but I, I just for some reason though those words, my favourite mistake, those words are burned into my brain but I don't even know the song oh you'll know it you'll you'll know it when you hear it listen to it listen to it after after the show Let's um, get this whole mess straightened out, shall we? 2000, 2001. Was it Hong Kong? Was it was it the UK? Where the hell was everyone living? I, I've worked it out. I, I, <laughs> I was on trolleys at Sainsbury's before Hong Kong. And then when I got back from Hong Kong, that's when I was supervisor at one stop. And that's when I witnessed 9-11. So how long were you in Hong Kong for? Liam? Uh, best part of the year. I think it was like a like an academic year, school year. And that was that was the same for you, Liam, as well? Yeah. So I met Chris in 2000 during a teaching course in London. Yeah, Shane English Schools. The person who ran the school was called Shane English? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shane, That's... Shane English School. He was a, he was only ever going to do one thing, wasn't he? Yeah, self fulfilling prophecy. So, uh, Liam, tell me your first impressions of Chris. Chris, at the time, uh, the, the the things that struck me about Chris, he, it was a week long course. Every single day, he found a reason to talk about Lizo from Newsround. Uh, he had a blue leather wallet. 
with a picture of a mongoose. With a picture of a mongoose in it. And I watched him eat an entire rotisserie chicken. Yeah. One lunchtime. Yeah. I think most lunchtimes, maybe. And... Uh, I thought, this is a guy who, who knows what he's about. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hitch my wagon to his train. <laughs> and here we are. Do you think people know what the no people who know what they want scare me? Do you think? Did you think that? No, he clearly hadn't got a clue what he was doing in life, but he was happy in who he was, and I was happy to be around that. Why? Why, uh, Lisa? I still don't know. I mean, I think we're a bit too old for news round. Yeah, so I'm thinking Lisa to me is a more uh, <laughs> later day news round presenter. I think I think Barb's met him at, at on a school trip a year before or something, so he, he was on our mind all the time. So Barb's was doing his course as well, was he? Sharing it, sharing it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a man came to me and Barb's school and talked about gap years, and um, and then I, I, I kind of. I think I wasn't that interested. I was just like, oh, that, yeah. And then Barb's one day said he was going to Hong Kong. And he showed me like a picture from like a brochure. And he said, this inspired Blade Runner, or this is where they made Blade Runner. And that's why I want to go there. And I liked the cut of his jib. And I thought that's a good enough reason. If that's good enough reason for him, that's good enough reason for me. I'm going to go away as well and I'm going to go to that place and um, and then I went I went to Hong Kong So did you watch Hong Kong been handed over um, four years prior two years prior one year prior Richard Pryor Did you watch it get handed over to Richard Pryor No No I knew nothing about it I thought it was in Japan even when I got there Right, similar flags. I think for me, our entire time in Hong Kong, when everyone starts talking about white privilege, that's that's what our entire time in Hong Kong was. I understand what white privilege is because we had it in spades. We were the definition of it. Yeah. What was your um, wackiest adventure in Hong Kong? together Ooh, Liam well I think we, we just drank a lot we just drank a lot yeah we just drank a lot and 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 we we, we would I guess I guess we would cajole each other a little bit we 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 would cajole Liam why why Liam that sounds like a polite way of saying you bullied me no, no. You know, we'd, we'd cover it. Like, I've got a photo upstairs, a photo that I dug out last night of him passed out and we've covered him in talcum powder and stuff. Just like he's a, he's a, he's, he's a knock-around guy. He's, he, he's, he's a fun guy. Like, you know, he likes, he likes his drink and, um, and, he's, and he's, he's pliable. He's pliable, basically. 
are you happy with that description, Liam? Pliable? Well, it's, it's out there on the record now, isn't it? Would you call yourselves Shakademus and Pliable? <laughs> we have been known to call ourselves that. Um, <laughs> no, I think we, we just had... We were 18, 19. I mean, we went and Chris would have been a month old, older than 18. Right. It was... It was an exciting time and hangovers didn't affect us. You could get very drunk on a school night and go to work. Yeah, Liam Liam, Liam would buy six cans of Brook every night. This is when we went there the second time and you just sit and drink six six cans of Brook. Do you you remember that? Yeah. Is that lager? Yeah, it's just like your your cheapest lager. Going back to 2001, that would be the time that we we just drank lots of uh, Pabst from 7-Eleven and really cheap red wine that was so cheap it was not really drinkable. So we used to mix it with Coke. Red um, wine and Coke. Yeah. And then we'd go out to lots of ladies' nights, which were, that sounds like a, something dodgy. Uh, but they would just be nights where men would have to pay and the women would get free drinks. But we'd go with our female friends and they'd share free drinks with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just had a daft laugh, you know, basically. Uh, did we Did we meet Ming the first time? No, I think I met Ming a couple of years later. I worked in a secondary school that was not too dissimilar to in layout and location to the one in Blue Spring. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of where I used to work. Right, okay. Just Asian secondary school around. Were you in the new new territories? Yeah. What would um, so you're happy with your choice to take a year out and not go straight to university? You think that was a good move? I always wish I did that. Yeah, I didn't I, at the time. I had no plans to go to university. I hadn't applied, um, and it was only when I was out there that I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go, and mm. then applied whilst out there. And did you know what you wanted to uh, study when you were when you were out there? I only really like reading. Mm-hmm. That was only it was only ever going to be English for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Chris, you studied. Um, drama. Yeah. Lifelong thespian. Where? So, you have you always been a? Fan of the theatre? Um, no, no. Um, I love film, and I love playing and acting and being daft. But I've got, mm-hmm. I've got, I've got no time for the theatre. Um, I went to see a Shakespeare play last weekend. What was it called? Well, the original one's called King Lear, but this was um, an all-female company 
and it was just called Leah. Interesting. So they've uh, taken the what, king off. What was it like? Two two hours twenty. <laughs> I, I know I know King Lear very well. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I wish I'd known it better going in. Um, I struggled a little bit. I was I was floundering a little bit. Ben, it's benches in the Shakespeare North. No, no backs to the chairs, Liam. Two and a half hours, no backs. No, so no from me. Two thousand one for me. It was my um, first taste of music festivals. Uh, I went to Leeds Leeds Festival um, with a few bottles of poppers, um, a love of the new rock revolution, as the uh, NME dubbed it, um, and a healthy disdained, disdain for the band Stained. Prime new metal era. Wasn't it? Yeah, and Puddle of Mud were there, and uh, Norm was having a really good weekend, and then uh, he fell asleep and he woke up, and Puddle of Mud were playing, uh, and that put him in a bad mood for the rest of the weekend. Did you see the Datsuns? Yeah, did we? Just a bit. Harmonic generator. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. Great stuff. Did you see. Um... Daphne and Celeste. I think that might have been the year before they got bottled, didn't they? Right, yeah. I saw them at Reading. Actually, I'm saying 2001. I'm thinking it might have been 2002 now. I'm, I'm I, feel like me, I feel like me and Liam didn't even share one anecdote from my <laughs> time in Hong Kong. Not even one. Nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> so I was. Let's just cut to the chase. I was. Can um, I get a drink before we talk about nine eleven? Yeah, go for it. I'll start my anecdote though. Um, it's the fallen. <laughs> so, um, so we got back from Hong Kong in in June. I was working as a supervisor in one stop. I arrived, I think I was working 9am to 2pm, I'm going to say. I got back home at 2pm and my mum said, she had the telly on in the kitchen and she said, uh, a plane's just flown into the World Trade Centre. And I said, okay, right, yeah. Uh, They think it might be a terrorist attack. And then... um, the rest is history. Uh, and then we went round to um, Jim Lewis's house and just watched it all, 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 all day, all night, just watching all the telly about it. Yeah. Incredible. What were you doing, Liam? I got a job selling double glazing over the phone. Yeah. And I had to go out for milk 
and it had already been because of the time difference it was already on the front of the evening papers and uh whoa 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 and then it was you didn't know about it till evening <laughs> no i'd I, I sat in uh i used to do two shifts i'd sell double glazing in the morning uh, and then i'd go to weatherspoons and and sit and have a beer and a burger and then i'd go in for like the four o'clock to seven o'clock shift or whatever it was and i sat there and i had to phone people i follow a script i'd say i'd say if you could is that is that mr jenkins and then you'd say yeah. yeah i'd say if you could if you could change the doors and windows in your house how many would that be um normally two. people would hang up or they'd go oh, i've got i've got six six windows and i'd go oh I, one of my colleagues could give you a quick it was a whole script and anyway i spent 9 11 sat there just having people tell me what was going on it's like you do know what's happening and i ended up i, I was so terrified that it was going to be the end of the world and there was going to be a nuclear war that i I thought I was going to literally shit myself, uh, but I didn't. So these were cu- customers that were telling you what was happening? Because everyone was sat at home watching watching the live news. And what sort of details were, were, the, were the same to you? Uh, I think at that point, everything had crashed and it was the Pentagon had gone. Uh, people were trying to figure out what was going on. And they thought the best way of figuring it out was to talk it through with you, the guy who was trying to sell them. Well, they they were just they were watching history, and then I come on the phone, <laughs> and the people, <laughs> the people who ran the business were just like, you know, if they've not flown a plane into this building, like, you're just going to carry on phoning. Like, you've got a job to do, so I just have to carry on working. Where were you, Sam? But were you really worried you were going to poo yourself in the office? Yeah. What yeah. do you mean? We used, to have, we used to have Radio 1 on and that they stopped playing music and it was just the same <laughs> horrific sound bites of people from New York <laughs> describing what had, what had happened and that was just all that was playing in the background and then people on the phone were just telling this what had been happening because we we didn't have smartphones it was just phoning people trying to sell them windows <laughs> them describing terrorism down the phone what do you mean you, you was worried about pooing yourself what? <laughs> well I, I literally I, I started to get really anxious and i thought um i really need a shit could you not just go to the... And I didn't. I didn't. I did, yeah, I did. Uh, but you were only allowed like a limited number of visits to the loo because uh, it was quite strict. What double glazing company was it? I don't want to badmouth them. Um, My dad worked for a double glazing company. Yeah, Everest. Oh, um Oh, Everest are quite good, I think. Aren't they? This was this was stay bright windows. Did you get any leads that night? I didn't get any. I didn't get any. How many leads would you say you got in total in over the whole period working there? I didn't do very well. 
in that job. It was it was not a job I succeeded at. Did you think you were going to die that night? I didn't think I was going to die. I just I just felt trapped in a small call centre. It's quite the image you've painted is quite you're quite isolated. You're getting your you're it's like um, a George Saunders short story. You're, you're getting your information from people down the phone who you're trying to sell double glazing to. Do you think that made it more worrying, the fact that you were getting the information via... I didn't see any... All the footage, all the kind of... the mad footage that we all now know so clearly, like, I hadn't seen any of it. It was all just Radio 1 sound bites of the same frantic Americans and then people down the phone. And you were sort of interpreting, we all knew, know how affected we were by like seeing the footage, so you were just interpreting the way that people were like conveying that message to you. It was mental. Had you seen it? Had you seen any footage? No. Had you seen photos on the newspapers? I saw uh, one photo on the front of the Coventry Evening Telegraph. Mm. Right, so Sam, spill the beans. So I've got a memory of, I was playing football after school and then I went to my grandma's, I used to have... um, tea at my grandma's house was it was it a tuesday did it happen on a tuesday possibly and i went back to my grandma's and i would usually watch woof (laughs) which was the um it was a citv (laughs) series about a boy who um, would turn into a dog. Um, <laughs> nailed these, nailed these synopsis. Um, and for for the life for the life of me, it wasn't on any. You know, every channel was this news, so I had to watch. <laughs> I had to watch that. <laughs> That's that's my memory of it. Anyway. <laughs> of course, I was a bit younger than I'm a bit younger than you, so right? Uh, you're not that much younger. Though. I I like to imagine that you were sat around with, with the Sam Gang and all solemnly closing your spy files and setting them aside for the day. No, it was it was a few years after the Sam Gang. Um, Makes me think it was the oh. year before Leeds Festival, actually. <laughs> um, you, you were only a year younger than us. Than us. T- two, isn't it? Oh, no, is it one? It's one, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's two. It's two. No, yeah, two years. All right. You were 17 that year. Yeah. <laughs> you were 17 and wanted to watch Wolf. Yeah. Well, it was on every it was on every it was on every channel, wasn't it? From what I remember, 
Yeah, but that's. I mean, Wolf Wolf was only on one channel, so it doesn't it doesn't matter that Nine Eleven was on every every channel. Yeah, well, I probably had some backups, didn't I? Lisa's news around or something. Yeah, made Marion five children in it. No, it was it. I mean, I feel like we've made light of a a very a, very tra- Aquila tra- tra- tragic uh, event. I I I I feel I I pay my respects, but okay. your story tickled me. Um, I, I don't think anyone's in in any doubt of the significance and the sadness of the event itself. No, but looking back on how that impacted on us all in different scenarios. Is is where the humour lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So don't don't go cancelling midlife film catch up. No, of course not. And then um, you add all the small bottles after that. Uh, sorry, who did? Who did? You had you had all the small bottles in the airport. Yes. Yeah. You couldn't take uh, more than thirty millilitres onto a plane, could you? Yeah, but um, yeah. Any other memories from? Uh, sorry, go on, go on, Chris. No, I'm just I'm just thinking of nine eleven, really. Yeah. You know, it was a funny time. What did you have for tea? Who? Uh, everyone. Um. I had a vegan chili. Do you want to um, choose the films for next week? Yeah, with pleasure. With pleasure. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. First film is called Morven Kalar, directed by Lynn Ramsey, United Kingdom, 2002. Synopsis. A Scottish supermarket shelf filler, Morven Kalar, played by Samantha Morton, uses her boyfriend's inheritance after his suicide to escape from her boring life. Emotionally intense road movie by the director of the prize-winning Rat Catcher. All right. That was on That was on a short list uh, a couple of weeks ago. Rat Catcher. Was it? Okay. Mm. The next film was called Ken Park... Directed by Larry Clark and Edward Lackman, United States. Ken Park focuses on several teenagers and their tormented home lives. Sean seems to be the most conventional. Tate is brimming with psychotic rage. Claude is habitually harassed by his brutish father and coddled rather uncomfortably by his enormously pregnant mother. Okay. Yep. Number three. I don't have a number three. You've got two choices. It sounds like you've chosen two very bleak films there. Potentially. But that's okay. That's okay. That doesn't have to be a problem, does it? Have you seen Have you seen Kids by Larry Clark? I've seen Kids and I've seen Bully and um, they scarred me. Yeah, they are bleak, but they're um, 
memorable, aren't they? They. Um, I'd say the Lynn Ramsey one might be a bit less bleak. Mm-hmm. Samantha Morton. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Mumba then. <laughs> I don't know why. I, get, I think I get Samantha Morton and uh, Samantha Janus confused. Yeah, one of them is in Game On. Hmm. So will will this be like? Will it be? Uh, will it be anything like Game On? I think it will be. Well, I'd 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 go for that one. I mean, we watched another film of hers in the cinema with uh, Quinoa Phoenix. We we did. Yeah, I forgot what it was called. I you were never here. You were never really here. Uh, I I didn't enjoy that. Oh, really? No. And she directed We Need to Talk About Kevin. I haven't seen that. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, I have, yeah. Well, the ball's in your court. What do you, what do you think? I've got another question for Liam as well. Um, okay. Well, we haven't done ratings. I don't think we can go back to ratings now, really. But could I just ask about... Um, Nick Zimmer from the AAS. Um, yeah. That was just, I went to see the AAS, the first UK tour, and then ended up going to a bar with him and the, and the drummer one, Brian, like Brian. Friends, and some friends. We, we just went backstage afterwards and they fancied drinking some more. So we took them to a bar. And that was that was about it. That's my story. But if you if you watch the Meet Me in the Bathroom documentary, there's footage from the tour bus from behind Carano and you can see a it would have been two thousand and two maybe, two thousand and three, two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, a teenage or twenty something me stood Stood there briefly. You are in that documentary, like very, very briefly. You kept that, kept that quiet. I thought that's why it came up. No, you never told me that. Incidentally, that's one of the first times I've seen nine eleven footage in the cinema, and it's quite the, quite the viewing. Quite the spectacle. Yeah. They show footage of it in in that documentary. Yeah. So for all you two thousand and one fans out there, that's the the documentary for you. Yeah. It was a key year for the uh, for that scene, wasn't it? Two thousand and one. The year that um, is this it came out. Yeah. There you go. Big album that year. We didn't do geese count. I don't think there were many. I'd say there were no if any. no geese in this film. Mm. I think I'll see this film as one of my highlights from the project at the end. Really? I've got to say. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think that. I don't feel like I've, uh, I've uh, gone to bat for it enough, really. Should we start again? <laughs> it's just a loop. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was okay, wasn't it? I don't think you've enjoyed a film since... Um, Babe. Uh, kids, <laughs> kids Return. Chris. What? I'm going to put it out I, I, I really enjoyed Black Cat, White Cat. Uh, sorry, yeah, you did. I didn't enjoy yeah. that. Oh, mm. God. Um, I, I think we should pick Lynn Ramsey. Okay, yeah. Marvin Keller. Yeah. Okay, I've just read some quick user reviews of Morven Kalar, and I think it's going to be a good film. Mm-hmm. A really good film. So let's watch okay. that. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I've never seen Samantha Janice in anything I don't like, so I'm, I've got high hopes. Excellent. Um, has anyone got any closing uh, closing quotes? Closing statement. Closing statement. A stool in the hand is worth one in the bush. Yeah, that's exactly what I was... Oh, I, didn't, what, I didn't hear the last part of what you said. I said one in the bush, but that makes no sense. Stool in the hand is worth two in the bush. Let's go with that. <laughs>